Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey everyone, Kevin Cruz here, coming to you from a snowy, cold Philadelphia suburb. It is the uh, the middle of February that when I'm recording this, and man, I could use a warm weather vacation. Personally, I'm not traveling until I get my two COVID vaccines, but once I do, Key West, here I come. First round's on me, Key West. Anyway, today we are going to talk about how to handle confrontation and tough conversations at work. And these lessons apply in our personal lives as well. And I'm horrible at this. I am so conflict avoidant. I talk a little bit about it in the episode. But before we go there, remember, you can grab the free LeadX app. Just download it from the Android or iPhone app store so you can stand out and get ahead at work. It's going to blow your mind. Show it to your friends they're going to hug you because you will blow their minds that this free resource is at their fingertips. You're going to be able to get a scary, accurate personality assessment and then get one nudge a day that's going to give you advice based on your personality and interests and career goals and your role in the organization. You're going to get access to hundreds of micro coaching activities, micro learning videos, so you can become great as a manager be great at running great meetings, be great at communication, great at productivity. It can teach you how to master your email inbox and on and on and on. So just check out the LeadX app in your favorite app store. Now, my guest today, he's a good friend and he's the world's greatest expert when it comes to respect in the workplace. He earned his doctorate in psychology from Yale. He's the best-selling author of Carrots and Sticks Don't Work. He's a coach to some of the world's top companies, and his new book is Let's Talk About It, Turning Confrontation into Collaboration at Work. My guest is Dr. Paul Marciano. Paul, officially, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Officially, it's wonderful to be back. <laughs> so for the listeners out there, I just had to hit record because we just started diving into all kinds of fun stuff since we've been friends for a number of years. And of course, we're going to talk about your brand new book, Let's Talk About It turning confrontation into collaboration at work. But I was just Googling, Paul. So do you have any guess as to like when you were last on this show? It's been too long. I so know here that. it is. I can tell how good of friends we are. <laughs> I've now done, this is going to be like podcast number 397 or something. Okay. I'm almost at All 400. Right. You were guest number 16. <laughs> wow, seriously. March of 2017, 18, 19, well, 2020. Four years ago. Now, now I remember it's because you were trying to get anybody, <laughs> right? Like anyone. <laughs> yeah. Now I will say, okay, there might be a, a shred of truth. Like I knew you'd do the show and all that and all that. But listen, you were up there in that first set of 20. I had Dan Pink. Uh, I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of big names and I didn't know what I was doing. The microphone wasn't working right. <laughs> it was really bad. It was really well, bad. Whatever you do when it works. No, it's, it's great. It's great to have you back. I can't believe we've obviously been in touch a lot since then. Just yeah. you haven't been back on the show. I'm glad to be back. Let's not let it go another four years. That's right. So, Paul, I know that you really love writing and you love writing books. You just can't stop <laughs> from writing more books. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> so what made you go through the mental and physical pain of writing this book? Like, wh- why did you decide to do it? You know, Kevin, I, I think it's like uh, most authors, it's, we feel like we have something to say. So I felt like I had one more thing to say anyway. And I don't know if inspired is the right word, but I guess motivated by what I viewed as such a you know problem, not just professionally, right? Not just in the workplace, but in the world, people's inability to difficulty in avoiding having those difficult conversations that can really make a difference, right? Like I think that much of this, the dysfunction in the world, whether it's with our friends or with our company or with our government, because people again, either avoid having those conversations or just don't do them well. And so I felt like I perhaps could contribute in a way to foster those kinds of respectful conversations. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, we're going to get into some of the details here, but this has been an Achilles heel of mine as a leader, a manager, a business guy for decades, because now you're an actual psychologist. I just like to read psychology. But, you know, I geek out on personality and I'm sky high on agreeableness for those listening, you know, the the five factor model of personality agreeableness. So, you know, I'm all about harmony, like I avoid conflict like crazy. And so that made me a really weak manager. But talk a little bit about how personality does drive some of this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very high in agreeableness as well. Right. I'm I'm a lover. Right. I don't want to confront people. And I think the first thing I would say is. When it comes to difficult conversations, Kevin, whether it's you know giving constructive feedback to a direct report or addressing something with a loved one, the first issue we confront is the fact that we approach it in the mindset that it's going to be a difficult conversation or that it's going to be a confrontation. And so I think you know giving that up and just saying, "Hey, Kevin, you know, coming from a place of I care about you, I, I care about our relationship." Hey, Kevin, there's something I want to discuss with you that I think is really important. It's important for, you know, the work that you do, for being as effective and successful as you can be. And by the way, that's my job as your manager, your supervisor, is to support you in being effective. And so I want to give you this feedback, you know, and quite frankly, you know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. So just changing that mindset. And one of the things I always say, Kevin, is, you know, if you were in that person's shoes and your boss had constructive feedback to give you, would you want to hear it? Yeah. And almost invariably, the answer is yes. If I could do a better job, I want my boss to tell me and I want him to tell me now or her to tell me now, not six months from now. And this is something, I mean, you jumped right to that I think was one of the biggest ahas I had from the book. I mean, I've got all kinds of notes down and we're going to get into some tactical things, but just reframing that mindset, again, being naturally high in agreeableness, I think about a tough conversation and it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be negative. It's going to feel bad. It's going to hurt the other person. We're going to have a fight about it. And of course, most of the time, if you do it right, that's not true. And if I have a hard time having these conversations at work, as you know, I really have a hard time in my personal life. But whenever I do have those conversations, I've always felt closer to the person afterwards, not further away. Yeah, that's a terrific point. I think, you know, the longer we let those issues go unaddressed. I say it's not like acne. It doesn't tend to go away on its own. You don't close your eyes and make these issues go away. When you confront most things in life that you think are going to be scary, they're not nearly as scary as they are. You know, with the book, Kevin, it's about giving people the tools, helping people with the mindset in order for them to engage in those conversations 
where they have a sense of confidence based on competence, mm. right? We don't do things in life that we don't feel competent out. We don't jump out of planes, most of us. That would be kind of silly, right? We don't ride motorcycles. We don't engage in what we perceive as a difficult conversation often because we don't perceive we're going to be successful at it. We're insecure about it. We're not confident about it. Why? Because we're not competent. And so to the extent possible, that's what really drove this book. You know, my work's all about putting on the playing field. So can I help people learn the skills that would make them feel competent, confident, and then be more likely to engage and having successful conversations? You kind of address this point, but I want to I want to be explicit about it because I used to be until I read your book, someone who would say, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree or let's disagree without being disagreeable. You know, those little quips. You're saying that's not such a cool thing. Well, I'll, I'll turn it on you. So in those instances in which you said, hey, let's just agree to disagree. Did anything really get worked out? Nothing got worked out. It's just, it just rattled around in my head for days and days. <laughs> Right. I mean, my thinking has always been that conversations, you know, when there are differences of opinion, we should move forward in some way, right? You know me about collaboration. And so I think it's a cop out. I think knowing in the back of my mind that I can say, hey, Kevin, let's just agree to disagree. It doesn't really motivate us to work through things. Mm. That's a cop out. And again, when you're left with that, that's your stopping point. You're at a stop sign. What have you accomplished, right? Where's the opportunity to go further? So there may be some very specific instances in that, but even in those cases, I'm always looking for a little bit of progress, right? I'm not looking for maybe we can't come together and kumbaya and all that. But I think saying the let's agree to disagree just doesn't push us and give us the, the space, right? The opportunity to really make a difference in our relationship. So let's dive down into a little bit. You know, what are some specific strategies, tactics that we can use if we need to talk to somebody at work about something we're disagreeing on and that we're currently emotionally charged about it? Like, how do we approach it? Yeah, I mean, you know, and none of this is going to be necessarily rocket science, but I do think that there is a formula. And the very first one, Kevin, is, uh, and of course, you know, just taking that time out. There's nothing more important. I mean, you and I and everybody else probably listening to this have had our moments in time where we reacted in a passionate manner, right? Not thinking, said something, did something, which boy, we regret having said or done, right? Which has only escalated the problem of the situation. So for me, it's just breathing, taking that time out and then reflecting on what the situation is and really taking a look in the mirror. Hey, you know, how might I have contributed to that? Or am I interpreting this in like a whole other manner, right? Do I have a lens that I'm looking at this because of, you know, who, who said it that could be firing me up? So taking that look in the mirror, maybe even Kevin getting a, you know, calling a friend, right? Hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is a situation. Have I got this right? You know, talking off the ledge a little bit. So with a lot of mindset stuff, I think, again, as I've mentioned, coming at it as, hey, this is not a confrontation this is going to be a conversation, right? Potential opportunity to collaborate. Another way, I guess, again, going into the situation, really believing that, hey, this is important because of our relationship or it's important for me to support you and becoming emotional is not going to be helpful. I always start in my mind from what do I want as the outcome? And then how are my behaviors, what I say, going to further that, right? So as an example, recently, just yesterday, I had a phone call with somebody 
a stakeholder. I'm a part of this business. And he, he just calls me. And as soon as I pick up the phone, he's yelling and screaming, which is unfortunately nothing new for this guy. This is how he is. Really aggressive and I'm a bully. And as much as I wanted to throw the phone away or run away or yell and scream myself, you know, I immediately have to come to the place of breathing and then saying, okay, what do I want out of the conversation? Like, where do I want this to go? Right. I got to own it. And so I want them to calm down. Right. And one of the most important things you can do toward that is make the person feel heard. Right. Make the person feel listened to. And so using that, hey, let me just make sure that I get what you're saying. So that's one of the most important things, again, is to know where I want to go. And then are my behaviors, what I say and do, are they going to get me there or are they going to get me further away from there? Paul, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I think having that space between (laughs) stimulus and response Mm-hmm. is so key and using that space to think about what is your real objective? Because I think if I was in that experience, depending on who was calling and yelling, a quick reaction might be like, I don't like this guy. Let me hurt him back. He's, he's yelling at me. He's trying to belittle me. He's trying to bully me. Let me bully. Let me fight. Right. Like, let me go back. But that might make me feel good for a second or something or protect me. But if I have an objective, if I have a goal I'm trying to achieve, that's not going to probably get me to that goal. Maybe in some situations it will, but in most it's going to be like, okay, wait a minute, let me pause, let him do his little thing. Let me realize where we're trying to get to now. What's the best response to get to that goal? Probably easier said than done. Well, yeah, but you know, too, is knowing who you're speaking to, like, you know, the Lucy pulling the football out on Charlie Brown. Yeah. So you have people in your life. They're always, pushing your buttons. So as soon as this guy called, I could put myself into the mindset that, hey, he's just being him. Mm -hmm. Like, how else would he be? And so I sort of have the power. I I don't have to react. It's in my control. And by the way, it takes two people to argue. You can yell and scream at me, but we're not going to get an argument unless I choose to engage. If you choose to argue, right. If you don't choose to argue, there won't be an argument. Exactly. So in that particular conversation, you know, I I just said at the end, hey, um, I really appreciate your giving me your advice and sharing your thoughts. Mm. Um, I know you're doing it because you're passionate about what's going on. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Taking the time and acknowledging like, okay, what he's expressing (laughs) loudly (laughs) uh, is a sign that he cares, that he's passionate about this thing. And to go to this higher level of saying, you know, I can see that you care a lot about this issue. Yeah, great. you know, and I, I think it's so important that we all, so the world would be different, I think, if this were the case. We all have to realize that we have our own perspective and it's a perspective, not the perspective. We have a view, it's not the view. And, you know, both of us are sitting here wearing glasses. And so I would encourage you to think about this visual. You know, imagine that there's a pot in front of you and into that pot, let's put, um, you know, our age, our gender, our education, mm our family, uh, you know, history, are we married? Are we divorced? Do we have kids? What are jobs have we worked at? Then put in your personality characteristics and then put of all your life experiences and mix all of that up, pull out a pair of glasses and you will see that your worldview is as unique as your thumbprint. Mm. That's it. Nobody, nobody has a view of the world and on issues like you do. And then I think to be taking the perspective of like, I have the right view. That's just really narcissistic. (laughs) For the listeners out there, I I think Dr. Paul Marciano just 
diagnosed me that I am a narcissist. <laughs> I always think I'm right. <laughs> well, we do. We right. do. And one of the tips that I give in the book is one, you know, when you go into these conversations, one is come from the place as I probably don't have all the facts. Right. And maybe some of the facts that I have are wrong. And then go to the place of, hey, I may not have the best answer. And then if you really want to challenge yourself, go to the place of, I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's a really weird kind of thing, right? Like you don't do that. If you say that to yourself all the time, you may find yourself at a traffic light, not knowing what you're going to do, right? But imagine coming from the place of being like, hey, I feel passionate about this. My friend Kevin feels passionate. We got two really different views around it. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And think about how profoundly that would change my listening. You know, most of the time, you know, when we get into arguments with people, one, it's about me proving you wrong mm. so I can be right. So we're never going to listen from that space, right? If all I care about is proving you wrong. And I, by the way, I already know what you're going to say. I do. And I already know you're wrong. <laughs> and so there's absolutely no room for listening. And yet we know that that probably, again, people feeling heard and understood is the most important thing you can do during these conversations. And so what I encourage people to do, Kevin, is to become curious become curious listeners like gee i wonder what this person is going to say next and if you can do that it completely shifts your listening and boy does the other person know it when you feel heard and listened to you really you get that i'm glad you brought that up i was actually going to ask you about it because you probably don't remember but you had given me this advice i think you know like over a beer or something about a great way to truly be present and practice you know active and beyond listening is just to be almost saying like, I wonder what they're going to say next. What's the next sentence or thing they're going to say, which has been very helpful. And along this topic of truly listening uh, and making sure the other person feels heard. <laughs> one of my favorite things in the book was you introduced the acronym WAIT. And uh, <laughs> it's actually page 116. Now, this is just an example. Like every chapter is filled with like, things that you will use like right away. And this is so cool. And I'm just going to do a, a quick reading for you, uh, Paul. Please. So bottom of 116, throughout the conversation, check in with yourself and evaluate your behavior as a communication partner. Keep in mind the acronym WAIT. Why am I talking? So unpack that a little bit. I love that one. <laughs> well, I find many people like to just hear themselves talk. I always think about how am I adding to the conversation in general? Is there a way that I can do it more efficiently? You know, most of the times going into any kind of an important conversation, I really make sure to bullet point out what I want to get across. And we know that when we're in a disagreement with somebody, we tend to just ramble because the more I can occupy that space, those airwaves, maybe the more I can beat you down. You know, I've probably been in conversations with people where that's their approach, right? I'm going to beat you down. So for me, I'm trying to self-monitor. Why am I talking right now? Is it just to be, you know, kind of listen to myself speak? Sometimes we do it just to look smart, but am I being respectful of giving the other person or people the opportunity to express their views and their opinions? And I know when I become passionate, right, I do tend to ramble. I do. I'm probably doing it right now. <laughs> um, but I want to say, why am I talking? What am I contributing to the conversation and are we staying on track for that? Again, I think that's a good tip for people to think about in general during conversations, just not critical ones. 
Paul, I'm sure you'll remember from the last time you were on this podcast four years ago that <laughs> <laughs> I like to give people, the listeners, like, hey, okay, they did their 20-minute commute, at least back in the old days, <laughs> to work, and they've got one piece of advice, you know, that they can apply right away. So I'm going to keep you on. We're going to keep talking a little bit longer about another thing. So this isn't your final question, but like, what is that practical thing? Someone reads the book, they're going to, you know, come back to it, take a lot, but like, what's something that they could do right away to get better at having these very emotionally charged conversations? There's a top 12 in the book. I think one of them might be to just take a hundred percent ownership and how this is going to go. So in, in our life in general, we feel as though, hey, we're friends, right, Kim? So you're 50% of this relationship, I'm 50% of this relationship. Well, what if during a difficult conversation, I made it like 100% on mm. me? Like I was fully responsible and committed to this being a healthy conversation. Mm -hmm. Like I own that this is going to be respectful. Like, I'm going to listen to you. And, and so that's one tip is just, again, it goes back to that mindset issue. Yep. I love it. I love it. And I was going to say, as you're explaining it, I bet there's a lot of people <laughs> that are feeling a little twinge, like I got to own it. Like I I'm responsible. Like that's probably hard for people to do, but to go into it with that goal is incredible. Yeah. Paul, I'm going to keep chatting with you here. I do want to remind everyone the book, of course, is let's talk about it. Turning Confrontation into Collaboration at Work by Dr. Paul Marciano. Um, your other bestseller, of course, Carrots and Sticks Don't Work, is how we met. We're both so passionate about employee engagement. And for the Forbes article, we're only going to address like things you and I already talked about. But almost as a bonus for our podcast listeners, I want to get a bit real. And I know you and I are both really frustrated over the divisiveness politically in our country, the divisiveness in my family, <laughs> mm. you know, like, I mean, I've got, you know, one sister uh, on, on one side, pretty far left on the political spectrum, another one who's a uh, pretty far to the right, big Trump supporter. And that's been tough over the last four years. I mean, just what are your thoughts on how do we get the politicians to listen and be less and like, how do they start to talk to each other? How do we find the middle, because some of your advice that I think is great on a personal level and our personal lives at work, I can't imagine that some senator is going to go to another center and be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take 100% ownership right. for how this is going to go. Well, and part of my commitment in the book is to send a copy to every U.S. senator, which I'm in the process of doing, because I do think it'll make a difference. By the way, on a personal note, one of the driving forces behind the book was my father uh, and his oldest brother got into a fight when he was in his early 20s. They never spoke again. I never met my only uncle. I've never met my first cousins. I've reached out to my first cousins. They don't want to meet me. And, you know, it's one of the things, Kevin, is people look at it like oh, it's, we're in a fight, like you and I are in a fight. But, man, there's a lot of fallout mm. to the people around us. Yeah. A lot of fallout, you know? So what's the impact that I'm having on the rest of my family members having to walk on eggshells, you being pulled in to sort of take sides, you know? Mm. Um, I was recently called from a family foundation and they had this very issue going on. So this is a foundation that's, that does amazing work, right? Charitable work. And yet the board itself is falling apart because of these extremist kinds of views. And so I think it goes back to, one is, 
the idea of, look, I have a view or I have a perspective and detaching that from me as an individual person and human being. So you have to believe, as I do, people deserve respect. This is a matter of who we are. And look, there are extremes, right? Like Hitler, whomever. But I fundamentally have to believe that people are good. There's a story I don't know if I ever shared with you about myself being in a workshop and it was given by this uh, monk. And at the end of it, he looked around the room, pointed every one of us individually. And he said, here's what I know about each person. He said, that is, you are getting along in the world the best way that you know how. Mm. And I just think that's so true. Yeah. You know, even the guy who called me yesterday yelling and screaming on the phone, he's getting along just the best way that he knows how. And so when it comes to my commitment, if, if given the opportunity to help, you know, the, the senators, the elected officials, is to one, just start from the place of, hey, here's what I know about you. You love this country. Yeah. You yeah. love this country and you've chosen to, to be in service to this country. And so let's look at the behaviors that contribute to unity like what's better in terms of for our nation it's almost like the mission statement of our organization right so let's take this here what's in the best interest of our country and our goals is it people yelling and screaming and being divisive and calling each other names and creating acrimony or is it to take really serious issues and sit down and seek to understand one another's perspectives seek to foster collaboration and, and you know maybe be willing to Give some concessions. And Paul, I'm again, really glad you brought this up because this idea, you know, one way to say is like, well, where's the common ground? But I almost think it's like, go higher up until you have the common ground. So even on in the extreme politics in our country that we were talking about, it's like, we know everybody thinks what they're doing is in the best interest of the country, right? So usually there's that common, you can get to that level. And I remember seeing, I can't remember... Uh, it, it was, you know, it was like a C-SPAN interview with some confirmation hearing with somebody. I can't remember who it was right now. And the person being interviewed was on the opposite side of like gun control or something. I think that was the issue. And so the senator in the confirmation kind of did these zinger questions about, well, are you gonna, you know, I don't know what, you know, ban all weapons or something. I don't know what it was. And I was amazed because the response started with, like you, I care mm-hmm. about personal security and safety mm-hmm. and law enforcement. <laughs> like they just went to like safety and security and then said where we may differ on the best way to get there. But it always started like, look, you and I are, are on the same team trying to get in the same end zone. You want to run this pass over here. I want to run it over there, you know, and this person, I wish I could remember who it was, was very skilled at that. Like even his harshest critics in his response, he would remind them of their their shared value, basically where where their their values were shared. And this going back to work, um, I've grown a lot in the last 10 years and in some of these tougher conversations or, or just tougher relationships where someone's very different than me. And so there just sort of feels, you know, s- s- something odd. I will remind myself like, look, they didn't show up and come into work today trying to make me fail. They're not trying to bankrupt the company. So I don't know, like it might be a lawyer who's asking for a million changes to a contract that really doesn't matter. Right. Well, they're not trying to slow me down on purpose. They're they're paid to protect interests right. that are separate than what I'm being paid to do. And I got to remember that before now talking to them about that contract, you know? Yeah, 100%. And by the way, there's there's a bunch of scripts in the book that are all based on real 
stories that happen. Colleagues and clients have sent me in over the years, and there are actually some that relate directly to what you just said is, you know, there's this idea, Kevin, of making sure to speak into somebody else's listening. Mm. So, you know, if I'm speaking into to, to a lawyer or an insurance agent, you know, how do I speak in a manner that's going to resonate in a way that they can hear me? Mm-hmm. So we always want to try to speak thinking about somebody else's perspective. Uh, by the way, I, I was on a call yesterday. I thought this was so great. There were some disagreements going on about the policies, you know, COVID policies coming into work and stuff. And this woman said to her boss that, you know, I'm not trying to push back here. All I'm trying to do is offer my perspective. Mm. And I know that what we both have, we both want the best things for our employees, right? We want yeah. them to be safe. And so in the book, one of the things I talk about is, you know, if you have to, you keep drilling down to what's the smallest level of agreement that we can mm. have. And often in business, it's something like, hey, we want our customers to be happy. We want them to be satisfied. That's great. Like, you know, something I've noticed or been thinking about recently is the element of time as it relates to tough conversations. So for example, I might have a conversation with my significant other and, and it didn't really feel like it resolved or resolved strongly or well. But then three days later, she's like, out of the blue, you know, I was thinking about what you said the other day and I want to ask you, like, it took some time to like yeah, percolate yeah. and it happens a lot at work. <laughs> I'll notice, I'm, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think about how much specificity, but like I'll have a conversation with someone at work where we're disagreeing about, it's, it could be something silly about like whether to build something in our software or not. And I'll feel at the end of that 15 minutes, like, okay, he doesn't want to do it. I want to do it. We didn't resolve it. We're just going to, you know, like it's not hostile, but like whatever, I, you know, I didn't win that one. Three days later, it'll be like, well, in the spirit of shared value, we're going to start doing this thing. I'll be like, wait, didn't we just talk about that three days ago and you didn't want to do it? So it does feel like with some, well, I'll ask you, is it some individuals or all of us? Like we, we just might need to give it some time. Yeah. I'm just thinking personally here, right? So yeah. like with my significant other, if, if there's something that comes up, man, she wants to have that conversation now, right? <laughs> right now. Um, and for me, I'm a kind of guy who wants to like, I want to pull back and I want to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, and you know, introverts and extroverts, um, you know, introverts need more time to process things. So, you know, if I'm dealing with somebody like that, I, I first of all, I always want to say, hey, here's what I'd like to talk about. Um, here are my thoughts. Give them time to prep, right? And at the end of the conversation, I always want to say, hey, is this something that we need to continue talking about? Oh, that's a great, great way to, so it doesn't just linger or people think it's done. Like you could actually ask, can, you know, should we come back to this? And maybe you just do. Maybe you just say, um, hey, listen, what I'd like to do, is to think about it. I'd encourage you to think about it. And then let's just set a time, you know, so how about two days from now? Let's come back together. So not leaving it so open-ended. If you think there's a, if you, again, knowing who you're dealing with this individual, it could happen again, right? A similar kind of situation. So you can be proactive and say, hey, I'd like to have an initial conversation about this, knowing that we're going to continue it in two days. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Dr. Paul, um, great to have you on. You, I always will think of you first and foremost as the doctor of respect. That respect model has done so much good stuff for so many people. I'm glad you're continuing to um, make workplaces great, but also extend and try to, you know, like I said, you're sending copies of this book to all the U.S. senators, trying to 
just bring this issue to a bigger stage. Lord knows we need it. Um, let's talk about it. Turning confrontation into collaboration at work. Dr. Paul Marciano available wherever you enjoy buying your books. If you can still go inside Barnes and Noble or buy them, Amazon, BN, wherever indie bookstores, let's not forget the indie bookstores. Dr. Paul, any final words? You know, I would just say to your listeners that may be sitting here thinking, hey, I'm avoiding that difficult conversation. You know, one of the things that happens is we end up building resentment up for the other person, but then also we can build resentment up for ourselves, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I end up feeling kind of like a wimp, right? Like, I'm not courageous enough to have this. Every day I feel like a <laughs> wimp because either I, I missed a workout or I didn't have that conversation. I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. So, I mean, if you read the book, whatever, if you, if you have some of those skills, you know, I just find it very empowering to have the conversation kind of no matter what comes out of it. Mm. But knowing that I've said what I had to say and said in a respectful manner and, you know, I've had a game plan around it. You know, the book lays out, hey, here's literally like the first words that you say. I just would really encourage people to go ahead and have it, you know, or or, or give it up in some way. That it's no longer an issue, but we carry a lot of resentment and frustration around with us. When in truth, Kevin, the other person's probably sleeping just fine. You know, that old saying, <laughs> it's like, you know, we drink poison and expect the other person to die. Um, so take a look and ask yourself, how would it feel to be very calm, have a plan, have that conversation and uh, yeah, encourage people to just say, let's talk about it. Dr. Paul, I'm, that's a great tie back because you talked about confidence, you know, comes from being competent at something. And this isn't something that we necessarily are going to read the book, nail every conversation immediately after that. It's going to give us confidence, starters, review scenarios. So it's like, okay, there is this one conversation kind of safe. I got a lot of trust build up. Let me go practice. Let me go try some of Dr. Paul's tactics over there. That went pretty good. I'm going to feel pretty better. I'm going to I'm going to go after this person next and that that's how in over time we're going to develop these skills to where we're competent and confident. Yeah. Build the muscle. Build the muscle. I like it. Dr. Paul, thanks for coming on the Lead X show. You're welcome, Kevin. I look forward to talking to you again. <laughs>